0: Do you hate who you've become? Real Life starts now. Welcome to Real Life with evangelists An and Kathleen Lay, where people with real problems find answers in a real God. Welcome to Real Life. I'm your host, Kathleen Lay, and joining me is my husband, Evangelist An Lay.
1: Later in the show, you'll hear from Estevan Medina, who was on our previous show, who hated what he had become. An alcoholic.
0: You know, I think when we're younger, we have these hopes and dreams that we're going to do something, be someone, we're going to be rich or famous, Mm -hmm. we're going to work hard. And we go through things in life that totally crush us or put us down. And we start looking in the mirror and some of the things we see about ourselves there's a reflection that we don't want to see. Hmm. We hope to turn out a certain way. We hope to have had these achievements or we've messed up. We've mistreated people, given bad advice. And we can start saying, gosh, you know, look at me. And I know that happened for me as I started to get older and I started to realize the things that I had done, the baggage I've accumulated, the hurtful things I've told people or the bad advice I started to really hate myself and say, Mm. gosh, you know, and these thoughts would come into my head, like, you know, what's the point of even being here? You're worthless. And I absolutely started to find myself in self-hatred.
2: Yeah.
1: Well, I think that not only for you, so many of us can be like that. So many of us can set in our hearts that we're not going to be a certain way. And then when we become that person, you Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Or Mm -hmm. we become that, we can behave that way it just can really break your spirit. You can just get to the point where you're just like, gosh, you know, like what? You can get to the point where you're depressed a little bit on the inside. Yeah. But you know, what do we really hate? Mm. We're not really hating ourselves at that moment. Mm. We're hating our actions, Mm. the things that we do. We have to sometimes separate the things that we do from who we are. Yeah. Because just because we do certain things, it doesn't mean that's who we are. Mm. And so when we can realize that really the things that we do, the Bible calls it sin yeah. and those things, right. We're going to hate that. We don't like that. And we end up doing it. But what I love in the Bible, it says in Isaiah 43, 25, I, even I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. And I will not remember your sins. You no, know, God he loves us so much that he has removed that part that we hate from his view. When he sent his one and only son, he died on the cross so that he could see us as his perfect children. Mm -hmm. It removes that blot of stain, the sin that we so much hate. And so we have to come to a point in our lives, gosh, if God can forgive me, I've got to look the way you know, he looks at Mm -hmm. myself. Mm -hmm. I need to forgive myself. Mm -hmm. I need to stop hating myself. Mm -hmm. And I need to say, God, help me to get better, to not behave that way, to not behave sinfully.
0: And I think that's the biggest key is knowing the love of God. When we have the love of God in us, and we know his love and how much he cares for us and we're created in his image, We start listening to his voice instead of the voice of the devil who's trying to put us down Mm -hmm. because I believe everyone goes through that. We hear a voice, a thought in our head, and we do things that we wish we didn't do. And we start hating ourselves. Like you said, we mess up, we blow it, but we turn to God and say, Lord, forgive me and move forward. We give it to the Lord and we move on because his mercies are new every morning. Let's hear from Estevan right here after the break. Real life is made possible by people like you. We'd like to take this opportunity to sincerely thank you for your generous support. We couldn't do it without you. May God bless. Welcome back to Real Life. I'm your host, Kathleen light and joining me is my husband, Evangelist On Leigh. Hello, everyone. And joining us is Estevan Medina, and he was with us sharing how he was in a gang growing up and ended up in a party where two people were stabbed And he had to take the rap along with the other friends because no one would fess up. He ended up in prison for seven years out of his life. Mm. And he blamed his parents because of the way he was brought up, that he felt like he was never disciplined. And so he had a lot of bitterness and anger from that. And so we're going to find out how he got into alcohol and became an alcoholic, which led him to liver disease. He died and came back and we're going to find out what he has to say. Let's welcome to the show Esteban. Thanks for being with us.
2: Hi, how are you guys doing? Good. Good, Thanks for being
0: with us. So tell me about how you were feeling when you started to turn toward alcohol. I know you started selling drugs, but you must have been pretty depressed and wanted something to just cover that pain. Can you tell us about your emotions at that time?
2: Yes. Well, what happened was I was on parole and I think I was out for like three months. And within that three months, my house got raided. They came and got me, and my wife was like, I can't do this no more. You either need to choose that life or you need to choose me Uh your family. So I was like, okay, I'm going to leave that alone. Mind you, I've done most of my life in jails and in prisons and stuff like that, so I didn't know how to function in society. Mm -hmm. So I had to get a job, and I was working 40 hours a week and getting a paycheck, and it was like nothing, you know yeah. what I mean. It was a struggle for me mm. to be able to get used to that lifestyle. And it just like the things that were going on in my head was like I'm never gonna be able to make it. I'm working for this, and my money's gone. So of course that brought on the depression and you know the anxiety. I think and I had a job that I was working at that everybody was getting out of prison and getting that same job. Mm. So everybody was like addicted to something mm. on that whole crew. Like you know what I mean one was doing coke, one was doing heroin, one was drinking. And because of the drug use that I seen in my own home as a child, I had always told myself I'm never going to get addicted to hard drugs. But that opened the door for the alcohol. Mm. I felt like the alcohol would suppress my pain or take it away. At first, I was doing it casually, and then it just progressed. And Mm. it got to a point where, like, I started to just isolate myself from everybody. And I would get a gallon of vodka, and I would sit in a room and drink myself, I would wake up drunk, go to sleep drunk, and if I didn't have the liquor, I was sick, mm. shaking. It went through some low times in my life. I would go to my kids' room or to the laundry room and just see if I could find change, quarters, anything, just so I could get something to
0: go to the liquor store. Wow. Mm-hmm. So you started drinking heavily, and there came a point where you had liver disease. Tell me how you felt finding that out and... What started happening to your body?
2: Well, right before that happened, I was still with my wife and kids. And one day I was arguing with my wife and I went to turn around to pick up my son and he gave me this look. Mm -hmm. And I remembered that look as one of the looks that I gave my father. Mm -hmm. And I knew I had to leave. So I left. And when I left, I didn't have nobody telling me, you know, you need to stop, you can't drink. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I went harder. I was mm. drinking harder. Um, I got to a point where I didn't want to live anymore, but I just didn't have the courage to kill myself. Mm. Mm. I remember one day I woke up. I didn't have no liquor, and my side was really hurting, and I had called my sister to see if she could take me to the hospital, and at first she was like, no, you know, you're faking it, or you know what I mean? Right. Mm-hmm. I guess I burned all the bridges with all my family, so she thought it was just another way for me to get her to get me liquor. She ended up coming for me. And she took me to the hospital. But I was so sick, too, from the withdrawals that she had to buy me a bottle Uh before I got to the hospital. When I got to the hospital, the doctors did, like, a breathalyzer on me, and I blew a point six seven. And I guess I had gotten pneumonia and all kinds of stuff had happened to me. So they put me in ICU there, and they told me, like, if you don't stop drinking, then you're going to die. So my sister had called my wife and asked her to come down, you know, because it was real serious, and to bring the kids. And my wife, I think I hurt her so much. I dragged her through the mud and, you know, just made her deal with so much that she shouldn't have to. And she came down and the way she tells it, she was going to tell me off. But when she seen me, she had compassion Mm -hmm. and she was like, are you done? (laughs) If you are, then you could come home. Mm -hmm. So I was in the hospital there for about a week. And then I came back home and I was sleeping a lot. And one night I woke up and my eyes were yellow, yellow. And my wife was like, something's wrong with you. We need to go to the hospital. And I was like, no, it's induced hepatitis from drinking. Mm-hmm. And I told her, no, it's just that. I'm probably this, So, you know, I just let me sleep it off. And she ended up convincing me to go to the hospital. And mm. when we did, as soon as the nurse seen me, she was like, oh, my gosh, you're in liver failure. Mm. So they put me in the hospital room, and then we started running tests. And the doctors came and they asked my wife to come outside because the kids are in there. They asked her, like, is this your husband? And she said yes. And they told her, well, um, you need to prepare yourself because he's not going to leave this hospital alive. Oh.
0: Wow. So you were told pretty much that you were going to die. What did you think about when you found out that you weren't going to make it out of the hospital alive?
2: I was scared. I, mean, <laughs> I remember my wife, you know, just seeing her breaking down. And then I was trying to be strong, but I couldn't. And in the beginning, the first day, it didn't seem, you know, because I had all my family there. And that, that night that left and I was by myself and I was just kind of looking back at my life and be like, where did it go? Mm. I have nothing to show for 20 mm. years of my life. I was just thinking about, you know, everything. And my mother would always pray for us, right? And mm. I would go to the house when I was drunk and she would like try to come talk to me. So I would act like I was sleeping. Yeah. And she would pray in tongues over me. And I would, like, get freaked out. Mm. (laughs) And I was like, this lady's weird.
0: (laughs) Mm. And how did you feel about God? Did you, at that time, believe there was a God, or you weren't sure?
2: I I think I've always believed. I just didn't know Him. Mm. Mm -hmm.
0: So, you know, we're in a situation here where you were at your life's end. You were at the last point of your life after 28 years. Here you are, end-stage liver disease, told you're going to die in the hospital, And something miraculous happened, and we're going to find out more about that on our next show, how you actually heard the audible voice of God, but it was when you were dead. So we're going to find out what happened and how you came out of the coma. So we'll pray for those who are listening. Maybe they're going through a hard time right now, and they've been diagnosed with something, and they have no hope. Thank you so much for being with us, Esteban. We'll have you on our next show.
1: Thank you. You know, listening to this testimony, I just think how easy it is for all of us to get to the point where we're just going and going and going, and we never really look back. Mm
2: -hmm. And we're
1: not looking back, wait, what exactly am I building? What exactly am I doing in my life? And it's so easy to get to that point, especially when we don't really know what our purpose is. Mm -hmm. And so I just want to take a moment. And Lord God, I just pray that you would speak to a listener who's out there and saying, I don't know what I'm doing with my life. I need purpose. I need direction. I need to know. I need to stop. I need to look back. And Lord God, help us all to just take a moment to look back and to then know how to look forward. Mm. And Jesus, if there's anyone out there and saying, I don't know even where I need to go, just take a moment and say, Jesus, we know you're real. Come into our lives. Guide us, God. Show us the way. Because the Bible says you are the way.
2: In Jesus'
0: name. Amen. God bless you all. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Real Life.